welcome to a new episode of uh, In Conversation With. Uh, today I have with me Ana Maria Sanchez Arpe, who just published a marvelous book on the cinema of Pedro Almodovar. And let me tell you, Ana Maria, I didn't think another book on Almodovar was like, you know, going to be as interesting as yours is, because he is arguably the most written about Spanish filmmaker in history, maybe even more than Buñuel now, I don't know. But what, what are your thoughts on that? And what, what, what made you write on Almodovar? Well, neither did I. I mean, by the time I was about to finish the book, I thought, oh, God, do I really have to do this? Okay. <laughs> um, but actually, um, I felt it was a bit like, um, like Buñuel, in a sense, mm. that there's always something to say about his films. And of course, he's really prolific. At one point, I was dreaming up a thriller where a, a researcher who's writing a book on a famous filmmaker kills the filmmaker so he stops making movies <laughs> so, <laughs> so there came a point where i just thought oh my god this guy i'm never gonna catch him up i know um, i noticed i noticed at the end you know that uh, you have amantes pasajeros and julieta in your last chapter and then your afterward is on the lori gloria so yeah it's like you began writing this book and then all of a sudden new films began to to start appearing didn't they <laughs> yeah i actually had submitted the manuscript and um about four or five months later the new film came out and um the publisher in manchester university press wrote back to me and said could you add to this yeah. <laughs> of course in order to add i have to cut yes well but i'm so, so glad you added because if nothing else i do think actually that the chapter on the Lori Gloria is wonderful and of course it gave you this this beautiful cover as well so you know which I just love uh, so, so thank, it was you. Worth it. <laughs> um, thank you so tell me a little bit I mean tell me a little bit about your process I mean why did you want to work on Almodovar yeah what did you hope to find out what what was your research kind of questions really I came to Almodovar in a very organic way mm. um, I think I was trying to there was something about his work that was uh, attracting me and I didn't know exactly why. So mm. I just basically started writing and as I wrote, I realized why. And really it's all the archeological digging that he's doing around um, Spain's traumatic past. But I also think that I absolutely love the early films. Mm. And I think that the early films are actually really interesting in that he's doing a lot of that work, but it's really hidden away. Mm. Um, so I, I just found them really fun and I grew up with them uh -huh. um, and I suddenly realised that a lot of it had to do with me as well and the way I was brought up as a Spaniard mm. um, I was born Franco wasn't there when I was born mm. um, just <laughs> and but my parents were children of the dictatorship yes. and I was born with that repression and that censorship uh, um, I was brought up in that way sorry and yes. um I also was brought up watching a lot of the films that he was watching, you know, constantly on replay on those, uh, on TV by that time, obviously. So, yeah, so it was an attraction to his aesthetics and the fun aspect of Almodovar, you know, mm. in contrast with my, you know, kind of very conventional Spanish upbringing um, in the provinces. Um, <laughs> and... And then kind of realizing, actually, you know, it's not just a bit of fun. There's a lot in there that I'm really interested in around trauma and around Spanish history and politics. Yes. Um, how did you decide to arrange them chronologically? Yeah, uh, my intention in arranging them chronologically was to uh, 
make it easy for students particularly mm. because um, I, I wanted them to be able to just go and have a look at particular films but also see that development and it was really nice for me as well because I realised that I could pick up on particular uh, themes um, but it enabled me to do that thinking and, and, and grow the book organically. So for example the, the afterward on the Lori Gloria um, I think a lot of my thinking around uh, the Lori Gloria and the censoring particularly of, of um, LGBTQ plus identities wouldn't have come about without me actually having had a look at the, at, at the films and, and looked at them within their context chronologically, if you know what I mean. I do. In fact, my, my own view about this is that it's essential. You know, because, uh, I mean, I think as you point out in that chapter on the Lord and Gloria, um, what one realizes about Almodovar's films is they're all interlinked. Yeah, that motifs that appear in one film become, you know, the main story of another film, that images recur, yeah, the structures recur. So people have focused a lot on, on recurring actors, right, but actually not on recurring situations, yeah, the 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 escaped convicts uh, in Kika and the one in The Skin I Live In, yeah? There are kind of echoes and parallels and rhymes and you do see like an unfolding, yeah, that becomes a world, yeah? And I think actually the, the chronological dimension to it is essential to kind of grasping those, those developments, really. Absolutely. I think you're so right. And it's that kind of... I always think of Almodovar's um, work as a, as a piece of music Mm. It's very much it's like all those themes, you know, the, 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 the motifs, and they keep coming back, don't they? Mm. Or a poem as well. Mm. I think, you know, that idea that, that something that might be a, a minor theme in a particular film comes back in a different way, and, and you see it anew, and it's quite different. So, mm. um, I mean, obviously, the one that everybody talks about is all, all about my mother, yes. you know, and how um, how the, 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 the premise of all about my mother comes up um you know kind of generated generated by a previous film and, and that kind of situation but i also think that the images are really interesting the recurrent images as you mentioned i mean i think that you're so spot on um the maps the objects particularly there's a lot of focus on objects as well yes there's actually a wonderful series of video essays on those things like uh you know, the use of the color red in Almodovar, also the use of artworks in Almodovar. <laughs> and yeah, like kind of, you know, I mean, you could get lost in that, uh, in that world. Uh, but let's not do that, and let's kind of begin at the beginning, because actually there were many things that I thought you handled as well as anything I've read on Almodovar. And the, f the first thing I want to bring up here is your discussion of the Movida. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about that as a context for Almodovar, because... I love the way that you, in your book, not correct some of the main narratives, but, you know, that would be too harsh, but, uh, you know, add layers yeah, and nuance to, you know, kind of very traditional accounts that we now have of La Movida. I think I was only able to do that from a vantage point. Mm -hmm. So because more information has come out and also because more hist historical kind of work has been done on the Movida. Yes. Um, so... I I am absolutely indebted to people who, who you know did particularly historical research, you know, oral history research on the on the Movida, like Ayero, 
um, because without them, nothing would have would have happened. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the movie that for me, it was always something that happened elsewhere. As I said, I was first of all a little bit young to be part of the movie. Though that was something that you know, uh, and in the wrong place. <laughs> my 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 brother's generation. He's you know quite a bit older than me. He was out and about, and you know, and and I could see him coming and going, but I wasn't part of that. So, so without that oral history, it would have been difficult for me. But yes, I think the movida, initial accounts of the movida within Spain as well as outside Spain were very much to do with marketing Spain. Mm. So very much about, as you know, you know, Spain is different. Mm. Spain is, you know, changed radically. The model transition, um, look how open we are as a society. So that kind of coloured a lot of the information that people got, particularly foreign journalists, I would have thought. Um, and that's changed quite substantially. Um, I would say that, first of all, it wasn't as... Um, um, I don't want to say apolitical, but it wasn't as um, thoughtless. Uh, and frivolous as it could be, as it would have, as it was said to be, because it was actually very frivolous. But frivolity had a purpose, I think, mm. and you know, um, that has to be said. And also the idea that it wasn't all of Spain, mm. and I think that doesn't always come through. Um, no, it's very much not only a Madrid phenomenon, but a Madrid phenomenon located in maybe one or two neighborhoods, right? Like, it's not even, you know... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and people uh, would, you know, take, you know, boss in mm. to, to go to those particular neighborhoods for the night, you know, mm. to, to enjoy themselves and to do stuff. But I, my guess is that a lot of people would have been living a double life. Mm. So they were, well, you know... Well, Almodovar did, right? The whole yeah. narrative of him working in the daytime, you know, at uh, the National Phone Company... And, you know, then doing all this stuff at night. Yeah, the records and the stories and the comic books and, you know, the partying, right? So so that kind of doubleness is, uh, um, it's almost expected. You know, you can't be out of a dictatorship for only three years. I mean, I think people forget what it was like to live in the dictatorship. Yeah, the, the fact that some, a policeman could just come and beat you up and that was okay, that they could just do it, Yeah. So it wasn't that those things necessarily happened, but the fear that it could happen, the possibility that it happened, the fact that you'd heard, you know, that it happened to your uncle or your cousin or, yeah, that, that sense of, of power, yeah, uh, obviously kind of uh, uh, structured behavior, right? And of course, then La Movida becomes powerfully in your face, yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of just just the hair color. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure upset people. Right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, it's just the fact that they were doing things that hadn't been seen before, but, mm. you know, particularly older generations. I mean, I know what generations like my parents' generation, you know, kind of born 1940, 1941, mm. um, a, a lot of people would have reacted with horror Yes. Um, and it's not horror necessarily because they thought it was a terrible thing to do, although a lot did, did but yes. horror in terms of what repercussions are they going to be? Yeah, the, well, the fear. Yes. Well, and in fact, I think the other thing uh, that, uh, you know, comes out in this is the drugs, you know, and mm. kind of, you know, how important they were because 
you know, and again because of this change of it being a new, a new Spain, right? So everything that had been forbidden before was desirable, and people couldn't distinguish between a book that had been forbidden and heroin, right? So everything was desirable, and actually there was an epidemic of heroin addiction and uh, 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 AIDS deaths and so on as a result of that. You, that uh, the, again, you write and or comment on very interestingly on Entre Tinieblas on the chapter on Entre Tinieblas. You know, because mm. that is reflected in that film very powerfully, I think, yeah. Uh, so uh, let, me, let me move on and <laughs> begin more <laughs> an interview type of situation. One of the things that I found very fascinating about uh, uh, your early chapters is the discussion, and the discussions are always um, kind of, not tangential, but they're not the main object of discussion, but they're very important. So, uh, and, and that one of them is the reception of Almodovar's work by critics in Spain during that period, which was largely extremely negative. Yeah, can you comment on that? Sure. I mean, I was really surprised when I first, I mean, very early on, you know, when I thought, oh, I'm really interested in Almodovar, I'm going to look at some of the you know, material and reviews and, and things like that. Um, I was very surprised at, at how negative they were. I knew they were negative. Um, and and I, I grew up with, you know, the, the report on the films, the television programs. So on the one hand, there was a kind of reverence for the persona on TV, you know, and kind of popular, for popular culture. Um, you know, the Chicas Almodovar, the, oh, isn't it great, go to the Oscars, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and on the other hand, there was a vicious, quite vicious um, uh, attacks on occasion. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of those, um, the, 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 the early reviews as well, they were coming from a different school of thought. So they were judging Almodovar's films from, with, with very, very different criteria from the criteria that perhaps I would have used and other people, you know, later on may have used. They were coming from a, a, a very traditional, um, um, you know, a, a very traditional um, frame of mind in terms of, of how you make films. Mm. And of course, the thing about Almodovar is that he made films in on the hop. <laughs> yes, but I think there's more than that. So I agree. I mean, I wrote a little bit on this uh, in the, I think in the 80s, because I went to the uh, uh, Filmoteca in Spain and I researched uh, the reception uh, of it. And it seemed to me that there were two things. One is what you say, you know, that in, in, in the critical establishment, the cinematic critical establishment of the period, the model of a good film was Saura, Erice, European art cinema, yeah, kind of things that were metaphoric and ambiguous and political. And of course, Almodovar is not uh, as far from ambiguous as you can get, so he didn't fit that model. There is that. But I also thought that there was a, 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 a hidden homophobia. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. That he was completely baited, because in that world, everyone knew who he was, what he did, etc. Right? It couldn't be said public. But actually, you know, the film criticism reflected, yeah, kind of, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, I think that even recently there have been, the, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't quite, it doesn't come to mind who it was now recently mm -hmm. who, who was talking about how Almodovar had 
changed. And one of the things that uh, they mention, and I'm I'm really sorry, I can't. The name will come to me at some point. That one of the things they mention about a positive for new Almodovar films is that they were there weren't any um, transvestites. Ah. Uh. Uh, yes. Ah. <laughs> mm. Yes. I, I mentioned it in the book. Sorry about that. I just I just forgot the name. And I just thought that is just appalling. Um, so yes, that that's definitely there. And and obviously, Amadova himself has mentioned or commented on that. And I I can't I haven't got any any other sources to ascertain whether this is true or not. But he he did talk about the law of desire. Mm. and how he didn't get any funding and his suspicion is that he didn't get any funding because it was a story about a uh, is it, it was a gay love story and a gay kind of centered story um so um i think that, i have no doubt that was a, a a fascinating thing which i did not know of because i thought he had gotten a grant uh for the law of desire uh and i still you know for years i've been teaching that film and saying you know to me, Almodovar is like the bravest, the bravest director, you know, in the whole history of Spanish cinema, right? Uh, because, I mean, here you have the end of the dictatorship, Colonel Tejero's coup, and the first film he decides to make by himself is a homosexual romance triangle, right? Yeah? So that takes guts. But if on top of that, like you say, he put his own money into it, that's even like m more of a commitment. Yeah, I thought that was incredible. I did not know that. That was that was one of the one of the many wonderful things I I, I found out in your book. Um, so so um, I'm going to ask you about epoch. So one of the quotes that I found very fascinating in your book as well was that Amadova felt that his first five films were were like you know five films by five different mothers that. You know the production setup that he could not control meant, yeah, that, uh, uh, you know, he 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 couldn't make them his, yeah, in a way that he would have wanted to, yeah. That they, they all approached uh, a compromise, yeah. Uh, what is your view of those, you know, those films before uh, uh, the Law of Desire, up to and including Matador? Yeah? I see what he means because obviously anyone would like complete control mm. over films and particularly um, Dark Habits. There was a lot of, you know, he had a lot of issues with, 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 with Dark Habits, particularly with the, um, with Cristina Pascual, the actor playing uh, what was supposed to be the main character. Uh, but I absolutely loved the early films and I think they were, you know, um, it was astonishing and incredible what he actually managed to achieve with such limited resources and such constraints. I think my favorite film, I think up to Lord of the, uh, up to the latest one, I think actually, um, Pain and Glory might be just about edging in, was Lord of Desire. No, yes, my favorite film. It. It's amazing. And I absolutely love Dark Habits as well. Yes, um, I do. Uh, yeah, I love all of them, uh, except Amantes Pasajeros. Uh, though you can say, I mean, I have favorites within those, yeah, uh, but, um, I mean, what you get in his first five films, or in his first six films, is an absolute new voice. Nobody was making films like that, uh, and the fascinating thing was that they were both 
absolutely Spanish, almost castizos, I would say, actually, but obviously connected with the world, yeah, in a way that Spanish cinema had not previously. Yeah, do you have any views on that or why that or if that? Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I mean, it, it, it was, a, it was, I mean, watching, watching Almodovar films after having watched, I'm not saying I don't like Erife and Saura, <laughs> you know, um, and even before that, you know, um, I think it was mind blowing. Um, they were on your face. It was really, um, it was really brash. It was really fast moving that, 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 I mean, just probably the camera angles were all over the place and color here and there. And, but also there were, there were really, there were stories. Yes. And that was quite different as well. And I thought that that was blending. It was, it was making something that would have looked quite niche, very attractive and very accessible to people who perhaps wouldn't have been um, trained or able to perhaps understand some of the um, masterpieces of Elife or, or Saura. You know, people, my parents, they, 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 they know one school. Well, my dad did for a few years, but mostly. Mine's the same, yes. So, um, for them, watching an, a film by Erife, however, you know, however much you can look at the symbols, etc., they don't get it. Mm. Yeah. But they, they can get this. Yes. Well, the other thing, the other reason why I think they can get it, uh, you know, and I'd like to know your views because sometimes I feel uh, I'm a, a, a lone <laughs> observer of this, uh, because... Is, is the language that he uses. To hear people in Almodovar films talk is to hear my aunts. It's like the phrases, the, you know, the, the way of speaking, the intonation, the slang, right? It is like, well, partly a different generation. I, I, I feel my aunts talking in Almodovar's films, right? It's like, you know, and he's wonderful with dialogue, right? Like, you know, he's funny, he's cutting, it's quotidian, he's got a wonderful ear for everyday speech. I think. Yeah, I was about to say that he's got a great ear. He he knows, and he has obviously been very observant as well, not just of of of, of dialogues and what people say, but also how they the mannerisms. Yes. As well. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I think he's using it really interestingly because he's kind of up in it, isn't he? Sometimes, mm. you know, in terms of turning that dial a little bit, a little bit up, you know. Oh yes. So, so all of that is kind of, on one hand, you can see the kind of realism in it, but on the other hand, you've, you've got that kind of fantasy world where, where you know, um, everything's just a notch, a notch high. Yes, yes. It's that and combination I, that makes it so uh, vivid and wonderful. The, the realism or the recognizability of quotidian speech in those situations, like, you know, what have I done to deserve this? Where you know, uh, uh, the housewife is talking to the prostitute, you know, to like in an everyday sense, and then they go to participate in a sex act, right? Like, you know, like, yeah, so the, com the contrast or the combination of those elements is part of what, you know, what makes it extraordinary, something that you've not seen before, yeah? So, you know, and, and actually, that way of putting it of, you know, because the, the speech has a realist dimension, yeah? It's recognizable as ordinary speech. The situation is often fantastical, yeah? Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
let me move on a little bit because I'm conscious of time and we've, we've barely even talked about his first films. Uh, so I want to move on to your discussion of uh, Kika and... Time uh, Me Up? Time Me Up, yeah. Two extremely controversial films. Uh, looking at them now, what do you think of them and what do you think of the controversy? Yes, I mean, we're looking at it in the context of, of Me Too, Mm -hmm. uh, for example, so, you know, uh, yes, there's a lot of controversial things there, and, and, and I remember watching Time Me Up, Time Me Up, and, and, and down, and, and, and thinking, you know, whoa, <laughs> however, however, it seems to me that, that what you're saying, that idea of, of realism and lack of realism is really important there, and also the fact that he's, um, he seems to have changed with the times as well, hasn't he? I mean, he's kind of almost disowning that a little bit, mm. um, which is a bit of a pity because um, I, I do think that he took he took a massive risk with Kika, particularly with the rape scene. God. I mean, <laughs> I think that is one of the most daring cinematic scenes I've ever seen in my life. You know, because the very concept of it is shocking. Yeah, to play a rape for laughs. I mean, it's, it's unthinkable yeah, today, right? And then, of course, you can argue to what extent it works. My own view is that it works, yeah? That it's very stylized, it's played for laughs, yeah, kind of who plays the roles and, you know, what's happening. You know, he puts in a series of jokes, one after the other, that, to me, works. But, of course, it's a completely shocking concept, and some might say unacceptable concept, yeah? It's because of the duration, but also because of the repetition. And I yeah. think that's really interesting as well, how actually the main character is re-traumatized, or I'd say traumatized, by the replaying mm. of of the rape uh, on TV. So you've, you've actually... I don't think you could have made that point better mm. about how, um, particularly in the 1990s, the kind of reality TV... Um, and, and the way kind of, um, well, any kind of um, uh, trauma, but particularly trauma around uh, violence against women, mm -hmm. I would say, was, it was very pornographic and mainstream TV. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, the, the emphasis on things like the, the Niñas del Alcázar, you know, those, mm -hmm. those, those three girls who were unfortunately kidnapped and, and murdered in, in, in horrendous ways. So he, I, I think that was a very clever, as you say, and daring way of making a really important point. Uh, but also it was funny. Mm. And, it, and I'm saying this as a feminist, it was excruciating, yes. but funny. I must say, I have shown that to students and uh, I don't plan on showing it again soon. <laughs> yeah, because, no. yeah, I think... Um, uh, you can say it's stylized and so on as much as you like, but when students see it, what they respond to is the situation, not the tone. Yeah, uh, so uh, it's a it's a no go for me for a while. Um, your thoughts on Time Me Up, Time Me Down? Because actually, that is a very significant film in terms of you know North American censorship, really. Yeah, yeah, and I can see why they may have you know, wanted to classify it in the way they, they, they wanted to. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but again, um, I think the concept's really daring and I think it's actually doing something really exciting and um, it's a comment on the heterosexual kind of narrative mm. uh, and it's, it's, it's really useful um, that, that, to me as, a, as, a, as an academic that there was that controversy because I could, I could get my hands on that in terms of censoring and, and how things change etc. But I, I do think that Time Me Up, Time Me Down is more than just a film about, you know, violence against women. Mm. There's a lot more in there. And actually, Ricky's backstory is fascinating. And it's something that's really been obscured. You know, um, the narratives, the stories we tell ourselves to try and survive. Mm. And this is both, both main characters. Obviously, Marina is trying to survive everything that's happened to her before. And also the traumatic experience of the last few days mm. and i mean stylistically it's astonishing yes i think so i think stylistically it's astonishing and actually i think uh, um narratively it's very unusual yeah i mean the whole story is about a man who's crazy in love <laughs> and, and made love. crazy by love yeah uh yeah and can't distinguish between love and desire so, you know, it's kind of a most, again, a most unusual setup, but and it's one of the few films in which it is, there's a desiring male, yeah, that drives the narrative. Uh, there, there are very few others in Almodovar's films, actually, uh, uh, and, and particularly heterosexual ones. Uh, so I kind of, you know, I, I, I love all of that, uh, and I actually love another thing that we haven't really discussed yet, I just love the whole look of it, yeah? You know, kind of, I think Pauline Kael wrote that women used to go to Doris Day films to learn how to decorate their homes. You know, and I feel gay man of my generation, we also went to Almodovar films to get decorating tips for, for our apartments. <laughs> there is kind of, yeah, it's, it, yes. looks, it looks like nothing else and it looks kind of beautiful, you know, but beautiful also kind of on a budget, yeah? It's almost like, beautiful that you can make yourself yeah there's there's a kind of an aesthetic to this period of his films yeah uh that is right to the wallpaper right to the sorry the paint yeah or the blinds or uh. yes it's just amazing and um and i just think that you know coming back to what you just said about craziness there, there's, obviously there's a, quite a few films that, that that are driven by by kind of and and, and desire yes. by male desire and a lot of them are actually start Antonio and has stars in them yes so you know love desire yes. and you know it's it, this one time me up time me down and obviously pain and glory as well um, and um ah what's the one about the surgeon the skin, uh, the the skin, skin I, I live in, in. Yeah. yes so you've got that that kind of driver as well but i i think that also it's the way they look mm. they just look gorgeous it's mm. amazing but there's there's always something you know that uh the the miss on science are kind of saying something about the film as well. It's not just kind of gratuitous. Um, it's not just prettiness. No, it is. No. You know, I mean, you could see that he learned from Cirque, yeah. Uh, that you know, wallpaper can speak. <laughs> it can it can give you story information and mood and feeling and yeah, everything is very purposeful. It's that style of filmmaking where everything counts. Uh, 
And I actually always thought that it was a great fault, it was a great commentary on the lacks of Spanish film criticism in that period, uh, that they could not recognize that, you know? Because I think even if you don't like the tone of the film, if you don't like the subject matter, you have to agree that by women on the verge of a nervous breakdown, he is formally a great filmmaker. Yeah. Yes. And as a very painterly, paint, uh, painterly director as well. Mm. So, you know, um, the beginning of Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down begins with a, with a, with a painting that mm. becomes a, a photograph. And it's, it's a, um, Antonio Banderas, Ricky's just painted the establishment he is living in. Mm. And that is, act um, I've not said that anywhere, but mm -hmm. I think there's, there's, it's, it's um, inspired by a painting by Van Gogh. Uh, on the asylum about the assignment uh, asylum where he was staying ah so, so yeah. it's a it's a really peculiar so Almodóvar is really paintingly you know Thurbaran all the uh -huh. kind of black and white kind of yes. um it's all there and yet um i think because people seem to be kind of focusing on on the obvious the kind of not obvious the kind of the more kind of brash Things and mm. that the, you know they're not really looking at the misanzan as much in that in that where they weren't I should say not now <laughs> they are now. Um, let me let true. me say another thing that I really loved about your book that you just made me think of, um, and this is not to to criticize everybody else, uh, but one of the things that I loved about your book was that the way that you were able to contextualize Amadovar's works in a broader Spanish culture of painting, of literature, but particularly also of cinema. Yeah, it's kind of very rare. So, so you know, you have people who were raised abroad, like me. Yeah, my parents were Spanish immigrants to Canada. Uh, you know, uh, uh, or you know, Anglo-American critics, uh, and you could see that they're either very focused on the film or they use a kind of a theoretical or philosophical framework through which to read the films, yeah? But actually, this texture of lived knowledge of a culture is often missing, yes? It's very rare that you see, you know, uh, Almodovar's films in the context of the cinema of Palacios and La Vida Sigue Igual, and, you know, kind of, yeah, the, those Spanish comedies of the 60s and of moving to the city and migration and so on. And I love seeing that in your films because it is there. Yeah, it's there, uh, you know, maybe not as a direct reference to the film. I actually don't know if Amadova saw those films or if he liked them or not. You know, uh, 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 you know, there are direct references like, you know, Sara Montiel and things like that later on in La Mala Educación. But, you know, w I mean, when you were talking about uh, the chapter on what have I done to deserve this, well, you know, that is a narrative, a national narrative that's already been, yeah, kind of uh, 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 made into many films in, yeah, Spanish cinema in the 1960s. Yeah, that you see echoes of all of that. So that's just a compliment. Like, I loved seeing that in, in there because you recognize it. And it's actually one of the things that I think is really largely absent from uh, previous uh, accounts of Almodovar's work. I am hoping that this is going to you know, that more people are going to look at those traditions. And um, the, the Filmoteca, the film uh, archives in, in Madrid, it's just mm. amazing. They're a great resource mm. for a lot of these films. And um, so I am hoping that there's going to be more kind of, particularly with popular culture, because 
sometimes it was the resources. I mean, there's so much nowadays, but there didn't used to be. You know, you had access to uh, films by the big ones, you know, Buñuel, Sauda, Erice. But really, popular culture, even nowadays. I mean, I'd love, I'd love to um, have a, you know, have a, 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 some kind of series or a, 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 a films kind of showing kind of popular, yeah. Spanish popular culture. Yeah. Um, I, uh, but it, they're not accessible. They're not accessible. Also, they're not very well looked at. Yeah. So I always thought that it was wonderful because, you know, like if you see a lot of cine de barrio or, you know, cine folklorico or whatever. That's what like, I grew up with. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I used to skip, um, I used to skip Sunday school, watch <laughs> cine de barrio with my mom well, and eat pipas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, I think the films are no good or many of the films are no, most of the films are no good. But, you know, there are these moments where. I don't know, Lola Flores dances or Manolo Escobar begins to sing or you see Marisol and it fills you with joy, right? It's, it's a film of moments, right? And actually, I think for me that is also saying something about the dictatorship, right? You know, that like these moments are the kind of almost the moments of joy of utopian, you know, community and recognition, you know, that was largely absent elsewhere and that almost are are the focus of the films yeah they they are what the films are about these musical numbers or yeah but they're also only bits of the film yeah that kind of the rest of the film might not be very good or you know, might be very cliched or it actually might be very fascist but yeah someone sings and everything changes right? it's the spectacle <laughs> it's the spectacle isn't it and that's one of the things that Almodóvar takes from them I think that this kind of love-hate relationship Mm. with that tradition yes. um but if you think about you know what you were saying before about the the joy of mm. watching films by Almodovar and and the way they're kind of mixing that kind of um pseudo authentic you know dialogue and and with very unusual situations this is very much taking that tradition to an extreme mm. Yes. You know, I mean, it, this is particularly obvious with Dark Habits, where you're taking all those nuns films, which I absolutely love. I mean, I'm, a lot of them yes. are so rubbish. <laughs> and <God>. yet... <laughs> you made me look up Sordiellie. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I, I didn't know the film existed. <laughs> and I immediately had to go onto YouTube, you know, and see a clip. Um, we're running out of time. Uh, so, and I do, you know, we've barely talked about his career... Uh, post uh, Women in the Virgin Rivers Breakdown. So I'm going to try to ask questions in a different way. So, you know, uh, Women in the Virgin Rivers Breakdown, still the most popular film in Spanish, in the whole history of Spanish cinema. You know, that seems to uh, be an apex. Uh, then there are films that uh, I think uh, are um, uh, a Films of partial success, yeah. Uh, so Kika, uh, Atame, Tacones Lejanos, yeah, kind of. They all have their fans, and, they, and the films have moments that work, but they're not at the level of of some of the others. And then my theory, anyway, is that he begins to find his way back with La Flor de mi Secreto, and then you have La Flor de mi Secreto, Carne Tremula, Todo sobre mi Madre. Each film almost getting better and better and better, and then. Hable con ella, which is a great masterpiece of the cinema. 
in my view. So what are your thoughts on this periodization or this trajectory that I'm laying out? I, I agree with that. And, and I think um, I group some of those l less successful films into a one chapter um, on the verge of a genre breakdown. And I think that he was kind of trying to find, you know, what do I do next? Yes. I've had this kind of big success. What am I about? Obviously, he was being criticised for um, leaving his kind of underground, you know, um, mm. credentials. Um, so, yeah, there was there was that kind of period where he was trying all sorts of different things and it, it not all of them came out that well. Um, and then you've got that kind of trajectory. And I, I completely agree with your description and culminating with... Um, I've lost Alleghenia. it now. Which one? Thank you. Alleghenia. Alleghenia. Um, which I think is just amazing. And again, it's very controversial because you've again got, you know, um, that rape scene, etc. And yet he's really dug in. And I think it's, um, I mean, the, the um, excellence all around of the films is just, it's just astonishing. Um, I, I want to ask you something because and again you know because I am the child of immigrants so of course I return to Spain every year and so on but you know you're there for a week a month and you grab these things but you're never sure of where the culture is yeah it's almost like you know because the culture is not just what you're exposed to right like in the, those brief moments that you're there but my feeling was that early Amadovar was not just an underground phenomenon, though he was. I mean, I did go to the screenings at, of, at the Alphaville of Labyrinth of Passion, so it was definitely that. But that it also connected with broader youth culture and actually, you know, the country as a whole. I mean, there was a period, you know, throughout the 80s and maybe even 90s where, you know, uh, uh, Spanish culture and Almodovar coincided in the sense his were, you know, the most popular films in Spain, yeah? Uh, and then that subsequently, though the films continue to do very well at the box office, often figuring in the top ten of the year, that there was a kind of a popular resentment against Almodovar. Yeah, so that if at one point what he communicated was something that was eagerly absorbed, that in the later years it was uh, uh, not the case. And maybe again I'm just extrapolating because my cousins, for example, hate him, right? And one of the things that they hate is that he is the image of Spain abroad. And, you know, they don't want to be represented by drug queens and drug addicts and, you know, <laughs> etc. So I wondered, you know, is it, what your thoughts are on this, whether, you know, mine is just a narrow... Uh, well, there's opinion. a saying, there's a saying that, you know, envy is the, popular, um, is the sport of Spain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, oops. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 I I get a lot of that as well, and and I think that it, I think different demographics have got different reasons for that. Um, I I do think that he's is, he's resented by some people, but not everybody. Some people just don't really like that kind of cinema. Some people mm. for ideological reasons as well. I think it's also got to do with the fact that Almodovar became more politically active, uh, -huh. uh overtly. Yeah. So at that time, Spain was turning well. I don't want to say turning because it was always there, but, you know, that conservative streak kind of was coming back up again. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of much more security. So people feel safer mm. to somehow sit back and, be, you know, kind of embrace the kind of conservative mm. mentalities again. 
mm. you know, it's all done, we've done it, the transition's been successful. Uh, now let's go back to that kind of, you know, family values, mm. uh, etc. So, so, so that was part of it as well. And I think also it's to do with different regions. Um, ah. that, so, not, tell me more about the regions that, that yes. I haven't in. So I'm, I'm Catalan. I was uh -huh. born in, in near Barcelona. My parents, yeah. my parents are from southern Spain. So I have family in the south, and I, you know, come go down to the south again, particularly. Yeah. So, so one it's of those very... families that migrated in the fifties to see, yeah, in the sixties, Catalonia, yeah. Yep, yeah, exactly, um, and yes, I mean, it, Almodóvar feels very uh, not Catalan. Yes. Though it's interesting because when I did this research in the eighties at the at the Filmoteca. Uh, he was incredibly well received in Barcelona. They would have huge premieres there, uh, you know, and uh, the criticism was better than it was in Madrid. But I think you could say Barcelona is not Catalonia. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so think about, uh, you know, the, the, the different layers is massive, mm. you know, and because he was co-opted very early on by the Spanish establishment, to mm. present that view of Spain as a modern country mm. that had moved on, etc., etc. So, you know, it, it does, doesn't always sit that well uh, with other um, political kind of enterprises, mm. I would say, in the country. So you've got the kind of, the, the change in Spain itself, plus the different tensions in different geographical spaces of Spain, the generational changes as well. I mean, you know, uh, there was always a generation of Spaniards who um, were brought up during the dictatorship and um, not saying everybody because that's not true, but many of those people have been brought up in a particular way of thinking. So for them, Almodovar has always been, um, well, wasn't, what did his mom say? That he was dirty, right? Yeah, I can't <laughs> um, remember that, but yeah, that I'm sure, yes. <laughs> that he was, you know, he was going, you know, against those kind of um, teachings of the dictatorship yeah. about what clean living and good living was. Yes, 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 yes. And so uh, it's really stratified. But yeah, the, the, there is that kind of, oh, this is really um, exciting. And yet, and I do wonder, because I'm whatever seems to be quite prickly with people who are, Academics uh, or or people who might be Spanish rather than uh, no. international, and he had been for a while. I don't know if that's changed now. Um, it was wonderful to me. Uh, I interviewed him in I think uh, nineteen eighty seven, eighty eight, uh, um, and you know he was wonderful to me then. And then I also I did the Guardian lecture with him at the NFT. Oh yeah, you know that was brilliant. And uh, well. He is a film director, so he's very controlling. He wants to control everything. The clips, the talk, you know, like <laughs> the questions. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, <laughs> in many ways, I might as well not have been there, you know, because he really, yeah, wants to control everything. Uh, you know, but on the other hand, he was, he was always like, you know, extremely kind, invited me everywhere and, uh, and so on, you know. So I, I didn't see that prickliness. Uh, That's well, really good. Yeah. Though, I'm, I'm though, just thinking that of the, you know, if I were him, I would have been quite, you know, thinking, oh, my God, what are these people are going to say now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, though, you know, I mean, he is such an international figure now. Everyone knows. You know, I went to the Dominican Republic and I stayed with a friend 
you know, and what was in his bedroom, his, you know, was that famous Movida picture, yeah, of, uh, you know, uh, him and Fabio and so on with the Mohawks and so, yeah, mm. like he's just everywhere, really. Uh, so I, I can't imagine he, he, his, he cares much. His position is secure. Um, but we're almost running out of time, and I want to ask you about, uh, we won't have time to go through all the later films, but just what have you learned from writing this book, yeah, that you didn't know before, yeah? So you have an idea starting in, yeah, but then once you begin kind of working on it, you go into unexpected places. So what have you learned? I have learned an awful lot about Spanish history mm. and obviously cinema, because, um, mm. you know, all those all those popular films that I had to go and watch in the mm. Filmoteca. Um, I think I've learned a lot about myself, um, yeah. but I've particularly been able to think about why my interest in censorship ah. linked to Almodovar. And yeah. I didn't know why at first. I was thinking, oh, why am I interested in this? What, what, what does it have to do with it? And then I realized that actually it's got everything to do with it, you know, to do with all those suppressed kind of um, identities and, and narratives, you know, the LGBTQ plus, um, you know, uh, treatment, uh, treatment of people in Spain. Um, I learned things that I wouldn't have learned, things, you know, I didn't know that there'd been internal camps for mm. uh, gay people in Spain at, at, mm. the, at that time. Um, and I also learned that, that it's not just about thinking about all those issues, that it's about how those issues are presented. Because one of the things that, that gave me the most joy about writing this book was looking at the film's um, form, you know, those 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 themes that were coming back, um, the style, the way things were framed. Um, and and I beautiful. think that, that was something, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that is something... one of the endless joys of Almodovar's films. It's just the mise-en-scene is so great and so imaginative and beautiful. And, uh, you know, evokes so much feeling and meaning. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a I think he's like uh, one of the very few people who can, who can mobilize all of those things with like a camera move or something. Um, it's an, an endless joy to see. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so we'll stay what, with the joy. Yes. What would you like, so, you know, uh, you said in a way what you've learned from writing the book. What would you like other people to, what would you like, what, what, your ideal reader, what would you like him or her to get from the book? Or they to get from the book? Um, I think I'd like my ideal reader to be curious about um, putting Almodovar in that kind of context and actually go and watch more of his films if they've only watched a few and also go back to that kind of tradition to, to see where he's coming from. Um, I'd also like that read uh, that viewer to or reader to um, to go back to ideas around Spanish history. Mm. Um, and particularly issues around trauma and, um, well, the legacy of the Spanish Civil War. I think that's one of the big things for me. And again, that censorship, that's self-taught for me. That was never taught when I was at school. Mm. Um, so I just want them to dig deeper, but also to enjoy themselves and want to say, oh, I really want to watch, I really want to look up So Yeah Yeah on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, the, the, the combination of joy uh, and uh, and learning and joy as learning is definitely 
kind of you know one of the things that uh, the book uh, succeeds very well. So uh, many congratulations, Ana Maria, and, and thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, thank you for inviting me. Bye bye. Resistiré, resistiré